Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Ah, God is good. All the time? God is good. Yeah, we say that. We say that, don't we? Do we we really believe it? Yes. Yes. Ah, it's interesting. Man. Whilst I wait for my iPad to catch up with my phone, um, it's good to see the house packed. <laughs> Mark has been running back and forth doing worship, trying to get extra chairs. Um, get used to it. Get used to having to get here on time to get a chair. <laughs> it's going to be real. Get used to getting here early. Maybe get used to having the queue. Yeah, maybe get used to coming and praying with the intercessors. Little promo. I, if I'm honest, I don't really know how to start. Um, the past year, well, from November till now, We've been on a trajectory, which I believe is coming to its conclusion, actually. Um, this is something the Lord has been speaking to me about over the past few days. Um, I believe it's coming to an end. Um, not in a negative or bad way, but just I feel like the Lord is ready to move us into our next. Um, and I'll share more on that later. One thing I do know is that his promise that he will visit us with a manifest presence is coming true every week. Um, and you may be waiting for it to come from the front, you know, from the person in the pulpit to be like, right now, shabba, 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 boom. <laughs> but it ain't going to be like that. And I actually believe it's never going to be like that again. I believe we've moved past that as a church, and the, the ones that are okay with that are the ones who have become the gatekeepers to the presence of God. Um, look at the life of Obed-Edom. He wasn't necessarily the man with the pulpit, with the you know, man of the hour with the power. You know, he was just a random guy whose house was next to where um, David was taking the the ark. And when that all fell apart, because David was doing it out of flesh and not spirit, when that happened, the ark had to be put somewhere. So he gave it to a stranger, to a foreigner. And the foreigner, for the first time in history, tended to the ark of the covenant. And somehow, some way, he learned how to do it in a way where for three months his house was blessed. Okay? Now, we don't know if the next time we see his name, because there's two obed we don't know if it's two separate people. But the next time we see his name in the biblical narrative, he is named as a gatekeeper to the house of God. Isn't it interesting that Obed-Edom one day will be a foreigner who knows nothing about the presence of God? He spends three months learning how to tend to it and not be consumed. Because remember in those days, if you were a Gentile and you touched that thing, it was, as the kids say, it was peak. (laughs) It was over for you. Okay? But he was able to minister to this presence in his room, him and his family. No glamour, no glitz, no big massive tabernacle, no temple, no sound system, no big massive guitars, three guitars and power rock chords, no disrespect, Nate. 
<laughs> he might have had a bass player. Yeah, yeah, maybe a little bit of bass. Yeah, the Shinoth or the whatever they call it. But he did all that, and in doing so, he qualified to be a gatekeeper. Those who learn to tend to the presence of God qualify to be gatekeepers. So we've been on this trajectory for the past nearly, coming up to a year now. Um, you might need to take a little bit off. I don't need that much. Um, and definitely from November 2022 when he showed up and laid us out on our faces, okay, with that moment of glory when we all just fell silent and we didn't know what was coming next, but we were okay with it. And that powerful service that we enjoyed. From that point till now, he's released us and now start discussing revival. So now it's becoming commonplace in our narrative and in our sermons across four or five of us to speak on what revival may look like and what God has been talking to us about revival in that sense. And that's great. But I want to encourage every single one of us to, again, not allow these, this terminology just be a pulpit thing. Really engage with it, okay? You hear things like beloved identity, proximity. It warmed my heart when Deji recently mentioned, oh, the word I picked up from David. Not because it was about me, but just because I know that means there is synergy. So now when I'm praying in my prayer closet and when Deji's pray, praying in his prayer closet, what reaches heaven is harmony. So it's important that we all buy into it in the sense of, like, even just the language we use. But why must I talk a certain way? Doesn't that make me weird? I heard that thought. I hear it. The power of Babel, okay? You know the Tower of Babel, that narrative? The reason why they were so powerful and had so much influence, the one thing that is noted is because they all had the same language. The same language is the foundation for them to be able to build. So if we don't have the same language, if we don't speak in the same kind of terms, if my idea of freedom is different to your idea of freedom, I'm not talking about revelation and whatnot and personal journey, I'm talking about those firm foundational things, okay? The love walk. This is why it's so important to rehash and go over and listen to sermons again and again. It's also why I do a review every single time I come on, so I'm gonna do a review now. So, I can't remember how many months ago now, what, three, four? and we did Embracing Revival Part 1. Technically, this is Part 4. It's got a different name, but I will review what we looked at. Part 1, we looked at how we inherit revival, we don't initiate revival, okay? So whatever that looks like and whatever it's going to look like in our midst, we inherit it. And what, why is that important? It's important because it's, um, I believe God wants us to kill pride, okay? And not have a sense of pride when it all goes... Um, revival-ish when it breaks out that's the phrase um, I don't want us to ever think oh that was because of us because God doesn't want us to think oh that was because of us it was his decision to honour what is it now 35 years of progress 35 years of pushing 35 years of story 35 years of intercessory prayer 35 years of worship I'm just the latest worship pastor in this church rich history of worship pastors who've been encouraging their flock to take risks. You may not have known what was going on, right? but when we meet on a Monday to pray, that is the 10,000th and whatever prayer meeting that has happened between the worship team about the fire of, of revival that's in our midst. 
So I don't want to ever get to a point where I think in my own human arrogance that it's because I prayed or because I fasted that God showed up. Because then we start getting into murky water. So that was part one. Then part two, we started um, discussing from Romans 8, the freedom from condemnation. Um, it's a powerful service where multiple individuals, I believe, and thank you for your testimonies and the kind of um, feedback you've given, we all stepped into freedom from condemnation. The reason being why that was important for every single one of us to do that is because Romans 8, like it says, it starts with, therefore now there is no condemnation. Within the first 19 verses, you then get to overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, which produces sonship. But the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit comes after freedom from condemnation. And so we have to, if we are looking to host the presence and to move in the Spirit in the way that we intend to, we have to first kill condemnation. Okay? And that may look like different things for every single one of us. Some of us, it's condemnation that may stem from being in the church for so long. And churchianity has done a good uh, job at killing any sort of revival fervor we have because we condemn ourselves and we exclude ourselves from the things of God. Condemnation can come from bad theology. Okay? It can come from different sources. It can come from your parents. It can come from your upbringing, culture. It could come from your job. You know, when you feel counted out. But there's a marvellous scripture in 1 John 3, which I didn't share at the time, but I kind of found it last night. Um, 1 John 3, I think it's 19 and 20. Um, where it talks about if our own conscience smotes us, okay, if our own conscience condemns us, and then the first time it says, God is able to rise above that, basically. First something, uh, maybe the next one. Yeah. Whenever our hearts in tormenting self-accusation make us feel guilty and condemn us, for we are in God's hands, he is above and greater than our conscience and he knows and perceives and understands everything, nothing is hidden from him. So he's able to rise above it when our hearts start to condemn us. But the next verse says, but if our conscience do not accuse us, what then happens? We have confidence, complete assurance and boldness before God. Now which camp do you want to be in? The one where you're dealing with condemnation and God has to rise above it. Cool. Nice. There's a glory there. Or the one where there is no condemnation and you have complete assurance and boldness before God. I prefer the second camp. That's why it's important to be free from condemnation. We, we accept the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit as a result. And then part three, we looked at the rebuke of honour. How the Lord, um, we looked at particularly the story with Jesus and the wind and the waves, you know, and how it says that he rebuked the waves. But we also looked at how earlier in the narrative it says that he didn't come to rebuke. Um, he came to save the cosmos, save creation. So why is he rebuking something that he came to save? We looked a little bit deeper into the Greek. The word epitomeo um, is the word you use there for rebuke. Um, and it means to raise the level of. And we decided as a congregation that the next time we saw someone come into our midst, and even to each other, we would continually raise the level of. Because that was extending honour, right? That we would have a culture where we would say, look, come up higher. See it from a different perspective. Okay, you know, here's your you know, situation with finances. Come up higher. I'm going to pray with you. Your faith may not be strong, but mine is. Come, let's go. Come up higher. Come up higher. And in doing so, 
and we will meet uh, the plan of God. So part four today, it's called Through the Eyes of the Beloved. Through the Eyes of the Beloved, Embracing Revival part four. Like I said, I've got notes that stem back for five years, um, four years, on this garden revival that the Lord has been speaking to me about. So I don't know when the parts will end, but it's really now. Through the eyes of the beloved. Uh, next slide, please. The alternative. So in 2 Corinthians 5, okay, it presents to us an alternative way of looking at things. Okay, there's an alternative way to see things through the flesh or through the spirit. I will, um, I'll read it. You guys can turn there in your own Bibles and it'll be there. There we go. For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us, or sometimes they say compels us, okay, because we are of the opinion that and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for us so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. We'll stop there, um, maybe for now. So that verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls, urges, and impels us. So we now have to make sure that everything we do is from that perspective. Every interaction I have, every decision I make, every judgment I make on an individual has to be from the perspective and from the, the, the basis of a revelation of the love of Christ. Um, can you just jump to verse 16, Bethan? Thanks. It says, and this is why. So it says, the love of God controls and compels us and then it says consequently from now on we estimate and regard no one purely from a human point of view so I'm not allowed to make a judgement based on you based on whether you're tall or short or whether you've got money or you don't whether you've been employed for 10 years or not whether you got a promotion or you didn't it's not about human qualifications anymore it is the love of God that controls and compels me it is those are the blinkers I put on you know for those who are into horse racing anyone? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> different crowd. Not that crowd. Uh, cool. But you see that, you know, if you ever watched it, Channel 4, I can't remember what the guy's name now, the guy with the beard. But anyway, you see those horses and they've got blinkers on. They can't look to the left or to the right, or that their, their vision to the left or right is constricted. It's restricted. So it is with us. I can only deal with Nate on the basis of the love of God. Yes. Now that's a choice. The choice is that I can deal with him outside of the love of God. But the revelation that God has been working on me for the past, since 2009, okay, it was Valentine's Day 2009, I'll never forget. I was walking in Birmingham, I was walking home from a party, and me and God were talking. And he said to me, um, I want you to learn how to love. Okay. And we had this massive conversation about the love of God. And he began to put in my heart certain things. Don't, don't be offended. Walk in perpetual forgiveness. And all these things. I was what? Um, how was I, 2009? 20. Right? And it's been tested over the past however many years. Loads of times. 
explain this at times. <laughs> because when you say yes to a thing, the law goes, aye. Let me show you how it really looks. <laughs> and so I've had friendships which have been affected, you know, one particular one which Denise will know about. Literally, this person went completely just wild on me, just with no basis. And the last thing I said to them, I said, okay, that's fine, don't want to ever talk to me again. And you're accusing me of X, Y, and Z. And I said to her, I said, that's fine, the door's always open. That was the last thing I said on the phone. The door's always open. Years later, four and a half, I think five years later, um, I was in the middle of nowhere and I get an email saying, hey Dave, I'm sorry. And we've been able to rebuild the relationship to a certain level. We're not where we were 10 years ago. But, you know, I spoke to her just a few months ago and we laugh about it now. I understand where she was, why she reacted the way she did. It was nothing to do with me. But if I had in that moment said, I'm shutting the door on you, she would have had every opportunity to say, you know them Christians? Nah, I can't do it, you know? But she always talks about, she says, the fact that you said, and she remembers, the door's always open. That's what gave her the confidence to years later say, hey, I'm sorry. Now, I had already settled in my heart, if I never get an apology, it's fine. Because an apology, it's reconciliation over being right. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to admit that you were wrong. I love you. It's something that the Lord has been working on and he will continue to work on with me for the rest of my life. Okay, so I choose to the point that I now refuse any other option. I literally have no other option but to deal with you according to the love of God. It's a covenant thing. Okay, you know the word... I was talking to Antonio about this recently, the word friend in the scripture, we think friend just means we matched on Instagram. <laughs> no. Friend in the biblical sense is a covenant word. It's I am for you, you are for me forever. Our blood has been exchanged. Okay, this is why Jesus says in John 15, I don't call you a servant, I call you friend. Why? Because the servant knows not what the master is doing, but everything that the master and the father has revealed to me are now revealed to you. We're friends. When it says Abraham was a friend of God, Moses would speak to God face to face as a man would speak with his friend. It's a deep level of covenant. It's an eternal commitment between me and the other individual. If I say you're my friend, which you all are, for the rest of eternity, I've got your back. There's actually nothing you can do to separate you from my love. Oh no, I only ever heard that scripture with regards to God. I know, but I'm his son and I act the same way. There's nothing you can do to separate you from my love. It's just a decision I've made. Talk bad about me, post this, go back into my past, find all these pictures and videos. This is what he used to look like before he was preaching. All right, cool, do all that. Tell all the stories you want whether they're true or not there's nothing you can do to separate you from my love it's just a decision it's the family business it's what we do my father and I this is how we act so I had to make that choice and this is the choice that we are all faced with this is the alternative to choose the spirit is to choose love why? because God is love and therefore his eyes are the eyes of love to whatever he sees and the way he tells a story the way he um, he directs people is according to his love because it literally is his essence 
So we're going to go to a very familiar story, and I'm not going to necessarily read the whole thing because it's like 54 verses long, and you guys don't want to hear that. Um, but we're going to pick out certain parts um, from it. Next slide, please. So we're going to look at David and Goliath. To be honest, I did not think I was going to go into the Old Testament um, again because <laughs> I've been in the New for so long. We're going to look at the, what I'm calling a beloved testimony. Okay, We're going to pick out elements of the David versus Goliath story and begin to piece together the mindset, the approach, and thus the testimony of one who is beloved. What is the testimony of the beloved? But let me just define that before we get into it. Beloved or beloved, like we did with John, remember we just, John said that I am the disciple whom Jesus loved, and so every time we saw his name, we read it as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now the name David does mean loved by God. Um, it's a great name. Um, straight, straight to that. Thanks, Dave. It's very straight to the point. Loved by God. Um, I've told you the story before. I didn't really like my name growing, growing up. Not didn't, it wasn't growing up. It was just there were certain moments where I felt uncomfortable being named David, especially in a church setting, because people would see my gift and then find out my name and go, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Because they always married, oh, well, you're David, so of course you can do the worship thing. Um, and so I felt under pressure every time to minister as a David, as a psalmist. <laughs> When I think about that, it's like a different person. But I literally, what, 13, 14, 18, 19? This lasted deep into my 20s. You're the psalmist, right? <laughs> um, you know, so you feel that pressure to be you know, in, in those environments. And, and it, it just, it used to, the, the enemy used it to just knuckle me down all the time. Until I was at work one day, sitting at a, just a table in a classroom. And the Lord said to me, you need to let go of your name. What do you mean? He said, you need to let it go and redeem it. Why do I do that? He said, well, how many times do you reckon people have called your name across your lifetime? I said, roundabout figure, millions. He said, okay, what does your name mean? I said, loved by God. How many times have people called your name? Millions. What does your name mean? Loved by God. He said, so how many times have my love been declared over you? Millions. Said so you need to let go of your name. Said so you need to accept that every single time. He said, even those who don't even know your boss, when they say David, they're, what are they saying? Hey, loved by God. They're saying, loved by God, can you just help me lift this cardboard box into <laughs> Love by God, can you do the hoovering? Whatever it is, every time they call my every time they call that name, and I want you guys to join me in the the, the revelation of that name. Beloved. We are all the beloved, okay? There is a scripture where it says, we have been welcomed into the beloved. Is it Ephesians 1? Ephesians 1, I think, verse 6. Round about figure, you don't have to go there. But it talks about how we have been freely accepted into the beloved. So every single one of us, when we stand before God, he calls us his Dahavid. So we're all Davids. I thought you'd be a bit more excited about that. <laughs> so we're all beloved. Oh, it was verse 6. Yeah, so which he so freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. Okay? So this is, we're all beloved. Yeah. So we all can look at our lives and say, this is the life of a beloved. What does it look like? What should it be? Yes. Can we go back to, yeah. 
So just as we did with John, let's substitute Beloved in for David and have a look at this evolving story from that perspective. Next slide, please. Some context. So it's found in 1 Samuel 17, um, which is how you remember that David was around about 17 years old. Um, 1 Samuel 17. Anyway. Um, Beloved, this character, Beloved, spent time hidden and isolated before rising to prominence. Does that resonate with anyone? Maybe you're still in the hidden and isolated part. He spent a copious amount of time hidden and isolated. However, this time bore the fruit of private devotion and unrivaled intimacy with God, even at a tender age. I love the fact he was 17, if not younger. Okay, They reckon 1 Samuel 16, when he gets selected for Saul, he was around about 15 years old. Solomon was eight when, Jesus, when God showed up and said, what do you, what do you want? Like, he was 15 as well. But yeah, all these, all these characters, I love the fact they're so young when they have these moments because it means that the rest of us have no excuse. <laughs> Maybe if you're 14, you might say, okay, my time's not yet. But everyone that's over the age of 17, at the very least, you have no excuse. I know some of us are only like one year over 17. So at this tender age, we have private devotion and unrivaled intimacy. Okay? It bore this proximity to God's heart, right? Which is why he was selected. You know, and his reputation has spread so far that even in the, the court of the king, um, when Saul needed help getting rid of the demons that would oppress him, um, they said, I know of a lad down in Bethlehem. What was it about him in Bethlehem on the, on the backside of a hill where even his father had forgotten him, but in the court of a king he was being spoken about? Some of us have lived lives where our fathers, our, our family has forgotten us, those close to us have disregarded us, but you don't realise your name has been spoken about in the court of a king. And you will be summoned into the court of the king even though your own father in the next chapter or in the previous chapter forgets you even exist okay so we we cannot emerge from our hidden season or moment and not have progressed in our intimacy with God and this is why he is keeping us here and we're learning all this stuff about freedom from condemnation overshadowing of the Holy Spirit our worship times have gone up in intensity Okay, and he's been showing up with this glory, this union, this oneness, because he will not let us emerge from here, right? And I'm talking about the physical location. He will not let us emerge from here without having progressed in our intimacy with God. Every single one of us. Not just those who share from the front, not just the worship team. Every single one of us, even the kids. Are you closer? Have you progressed? Have you deepened your revelation of what it means to be intimate with him? If you can tick that box, then we're ready. Okay? Next slide, please. Four words here. King, worshipper, strength, robe. Yeah? King, worshipper, strength, robe. Anyone know why those words have any sort of context for David? Okay, I'm going to read them differently. Jesse, Obed, Boaz, Salmon. So those fathers, his fathers, okay, so his father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-great-grandfather, 
Salman, who was actually married to Rahab, interesting. That's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> okay. That's the name, right? So if you read it the other way from his great great grandfather, the robe of strength, worshipper king beloved. What I say, we don't in, initiate revival, we inherit revival. David stepped into a lineage which speaks of all these things. Right? So when the beloved shows up on, on the scene, it's not just him. And this is where we think about the cloud of witnesses. We think about those who have come before you. See, I, as much as I, I do a good job as a worship pastor, I learned from my dad, I learned from Kenny, I learned from Esco, I learned from even some others, Ira, um, Emmanuel. There's a heritage. And I can pick any single one of them and I can tell you what I learned from them. I remember Emmanuel taking me into the studio at 15 years old and showing me how to do this and how to make sounds work. And he, he told me one important thing that like I still, um, still hold on to this day. He said, do not delete ideas. You never know how they're going to progress. Half of these songs I've written have come from ideas that I didn't delete. But that was 20 years ago he told me that. And then God will go, remember that voice note you recorded in your car? Um, you Are Holy, you know the song we did last week and the week before? I wrote that in a car park in, in a service station. Only because I literally was driving and I just, I heard the melody. And I went, oh, okay. And I had to pull off to the side, record it, a little 10 minute nap, um, and go back on the road. Weeks later, it then becomes something more. Don't delete, don't do, all these different things. What did Ira teach you? What did Esker teach you? What did... And so I stand here in this, in this function, in this role, and you guys experience the glory of what that means. Oh, yeah, we've got David as our worship pastor, and he's done this, and the worship team has gone to this level, and all. Great, fantastic. But as you pat me on the back, you pat them on the back. And it's credit to their account, because there is a robe in my history, there's a strength in my history, there's a worshiper in my history, there's a king in my history. So I'm standing here as beloved, so those are the name of his fathers. And then he goes, he gets summoned in, um, or he gets sent by his father, Jesse, the king. The king sends him into the Valley of Elah, in the southwestern Valley of Elah, okay, southwest of Jerusalem. And Elah, the Valley of Elah, was known for its terebinth trees. Now these trees had wide branches that they would take refuge in. Okay, wide branches of protection. So the army of Israel are encamped in the place of the branches of protection and yet they're under oppression from the giant named Goliath. Next slide, please. Why was Beloved picked to face Goliath? Did you know God didn't actually send him to go fight Goliath? I didn't realise that until I read it. He was there delivering goods. He was a delivery driver. Yeah. Uber Eats. Could you imagine if your Uber Eats driver showed up and started healing the sick at your house? Like, this, we're putting it in modern terms. Literally, he was sent to, get, to take some food and whatever to his, his, his brothers brothers who didn't like him. I would have cussed him out. Me? I would have been eating that food on the way. I was like, you know what? That's less cheese from you. Abinadab, there's less bread for you. you know, whatever their names were. But 
obviously he's beloved, he doesn't have a spirit of offence. So he's like, yep, I'll go. So he leaves the sheep behind. And he ends up in the Valley of Elah with all those wide-brimmed trees. But why him? And this is what the Lord, I literally asked the Lord, why? If, if, you, if you didn't actually tell him to go there to fight Goliath, why did he end up being the one to fight Goliath? And the Lord said this, literally word for word, he said, the voice of the beloved is the only voice that is qualified to answer and then silence the voice of a Goliath. Only one who has given themselves over to beloved identity will be granted the words that reset atmospheres. So for days on end, the only words that were heard were the words of Goliath. And what was he doing in releasing into the atmosphere? Just foul language. He was um, basically cussing out God, cussing out the Israelites, cussing out Saul, arrogance, pride. That was the atmosphere in this valley. Okay? So before Beloved shows up, all you hear, or all, all that you have, is an atmosphere which is charged towards the kingdom of darkness. So God says, who will be my voice to reset that atmosphere? It can't be any old person, because remember, the Israelites were all under covenant. So it's not just someone who's under covenant that gets sent there. They were there, but they didn't have the language to silence Goliath. I'm going to say that again. The covenant folk, the church folk, did not have the language and therefore the authority to silence Goliath. So it's not just because you've been in church for 20 years that we're going to make you prayer leader. Okay? It's not just because you've been, you've got some of the lingo, you can memorize 10, 15 scriptures a day. And this is, I'm talking from experience. I've always been able to memorize scripture. But the Lord said, you ain't going to preach. Until you know what it means to be loved by me, I'm not giving you no opportunity. Because you then preach out of the flesh, out of your own confidence. You start looking at how big your sword is to take out Goliath, and you say, I can't do it. You start looking at yourself, and you see yourself as grasshoppers in the size of a giant. But beloved identity, 17 years old, walks into the atmosphere, sees a Goliath and says, who? What? Is that it? Because what was on the inside was bigger than what was on the outside. We have to be obsessed with his obsession about us. Okay, that's what beloved identity is. It's the obsession with his obsession. He is obsessed with you. He is fascinated with you. He loves you to no end. And we have to be consumed with this revelation so that we can, when standing in the atmosphere which has been charged with the kingdom of darkness, we don't run from it, we can say, this looks like a perfect opportunity. This is just my kind of party. All right. What did Sean Foyt say to us all those years ago? He said, we should aggressively... Dis- One, two, 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 coming back. Sean Foyt said it. He said, we should aggressively pursue dark corridors. Bill Johnson says, no Christian should go to bed at night without blood on their sword. Just find one demon to annoy. Yeah? When the Lord started teaching me how to heal the sick, he didn't do it by bringing the sick to me. He just sent me for a walk, and I'd go walking to the train station at Elmer's End, and as I was walking, he would say, pray for all the sick in the houses. I would then ask for details. Okay, what am I praying about? Is it cancer? Is it this? He said, I'm not going to tell you. Just pray. 
so I learned to pray blind, as it were, just using the eyes of faith to just, and, I would, and then he would say, turn your hand. And I remember I'd walk like this with my hand out past the houses, and I would say, Lord, whatever sickness is in there, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. So actually, I don't know how many sick I've healed. I don't know if there was 10 I walked past, and I there was one. Don't know if one didn't show up till three days later. Didn't know if a diagnosis was on its way or it'd been there for five years. Didn't know. I didn't need to know. All I need to know is he asked me as his child to do this, and so I did. So I learned to say yes without any physical evidence. And I learned to reset atmospheres by just releasing words. Why? Because the Hebrews 11 says that we, by faith, we understand, verse 3, it says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed, fashioned, equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God. So the word of God has enough potency to frame and equip worlds. So I take the word of God and I equip and frame the world in that house. So where the word before was sickness being released, there was a Goliath saying sickness, sickness, sickness. I walk past and I say healing in the name of Jesus and we reset the atmosphere. That's why Romans 8, 19 to 21, we're not necessarily going to turn there, but he's great already, obviously. Um, it says, even the whole creation waits expectantly and longs earnestly. For who? For God's sons. It ain't waiting for just the covenant people. It's waiting for those who are literally, or they know who I know I'm him. This is what David was equipped with as the beloved, Right? He knew exactly who he was and therefore creation itself, the atmosphere in these wide-brimmed protection trees was able to be reset by him. Verse 26, so 1 Samuel 17, 26. Please. and beloved said to the men standing by him what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel why for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God beloved saw an opportunity and said this looks like something I can take on right so he's there delivering food to his brothers they cuss him out say well who have you left with the sheep shouldn't you be back with the sheep he then hears Goliath start talking and he says, I got this. Yeah, I know how to deal with this. You know when your when your co-workers, when you go back, when you go back to work tomorrow, and one of your co-workers talking about they had a tough weekend, and they start describing this, this situation they're in. Maybe not even much detail, maybe you can sense a bit of panic, sense a bit of fear. And you're hearing the voice of a Goliath come through. Sally from HR. <laughs> Sorry, Sally. It's always Sally, isn't it? Sally. <laughs> You're hearing the voice of a guy. It's not Sally. It's the kingdom of darkness that has managed to manipulate a situation. Something that should prick inside you where you go, oh, I can handle that. Oh, I know how to deal with that voice. I know how to take that on. Why is an uncircumcised, a non-covenant voice speaking when I'm here? Beloved saw Goliath through the eyes of covenant. 
Such was the revelation of covenant that Beloved had. He instantly recognized Goliath to be outside of covenant and therefore excluded from the same amount of protection that Israel was under. He said, the armies of the living God, do you not realize who we are? Do you not remember the stories our fathers used to tell us and our mothers used to tell us about Moses? Do you remember Joshua? Do you remember how he never lost the battle? Every time Joshua rode out into battle, he never lost. What about AI or whatever it was called? Yeah, he wasn't in that battle. He was there the second time out. <laughs> details. Yeah, details. He never lost the battle. Yeshua never lost the battle. Well, what about this one? What about that one? What about Samuel? Even Samuel raised his sword at one point. All these stories. What about Abraham? What about Isaac? What about Jacob? All these stories, these covenant stories, bedtime stories, which were alive in, 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 in Beloved's heart. How do I know they were alive? Because they started to come out in his songs. His songs are full of covenant. I think it's Psalm 77 where it talks about he's, he's basically depressed and he's like, Lord, what, you, what is going on? Yeah, I'm seeing this person prosper, this person prosper. When is it going to be my turn? And then he says, how great is our God. He has a moment in the middle of the, of the song where he, he gets to the bridge and the bridge goes, how great is our God? And he goes, whoa. And the rest of the song is, <laughs> yo, we've got this. They have absolutely no chance because he remembers the covenant. He remembers how good his God is. He remembers how mighty his God is. So when you're at work and Sally from HR is telling you about this story and this situation she's facing, let your response be, Oh, but I know how good he is. I know how much of a healer he is. I know how much of a deliverer he is. You need saving? I know a saviour. You need delivering? I know a deliverer. And let me tell you about a man. Come see a man. So beloved, he, he knows his covenant. And this is what we need to be obsessed about. We need to be obsessed about the promises of God. You know, it was shared recently. Do you know the promises of God? Do you, know, do you have one for every situation? Okay, it's something that my, uh, the church I went to when I was at university, they were really big on this. They were like, yo, you memorize the promises of God, okay? And we would declare it a thousand times a night, okay? It came from, you know, the Creflo Dollar stock, so you understand, right? <laughs> and um, it was an incredible experience for me because I, I would never pray without the word there, because you just had it in there, like you squeeze toothpaste and toothpaste comes out. You'd squeeze me and a promise would come out. <laughs> My friends used to take the mick out of me. They'd be like, Dave, you can preach about anything. They'd put a Fanta bottle there and say, preach about that, and I'd find a way. Right? Because it was just always just scripture. And it's not to, to pat myself on the back. It's because of the environment I was in. Why is that not the environment? Or why can that not be the environment here? Where if someone walks in the wheelchair, one of our kids turns around and says, oh, we can deal with that. Someone walks in on crutches and you, and you sit next to them and say, are you ready to get rid of those? When our kids, our young people, dream dreams and the old see visions, why can't that be the culture here? And if it isn't, what are we doing to, put, to make that? It's more than just learning a memory verse in Sunday school. It's having it come alive within them from experience that when we pray for the sick, we're also holding the hand of one of our young people and saying, watch this. Yeah. And they yeah. see, and then, and then you turn and say, you can do that as well, come join me, pray. 
open up the service. I'm going to do it once. I'm going to ask one of the kids to open up the service. Right? I know I've got into the habit of pulling people out. Because why do you have to be the worship team that pray for the service? Why well, is everyone the elders and leaders? Y'all can pray. Every single one of you got the Holy Spirit. You're all beloved. We've all got a covenant. So pray. I'll just wait. I'll wait till you're done. You're done? Right, we're going to the first song. <laughs> and I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask some of the kids. I know, I've seen it for the past five years. I say to the worship team already, if our worship excludes the kids and they can't engage, we haven't done a good job. They should feel comfortable to raise their hands and go, Jesus, even if they don't know what's going on, they don't need to know what's going on. Actually, I prefer it when they don't. Because the problem with us is that our, our head knowledge has got in the way. But I'd rather have the faith of a child to stand there and go, oh, he's so big. And then they lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. So your new covenant, beloved identity, you know your covenant and you, you can identify Goliath to be outside of covenant. Um, next. Next scripture, please. Yeah, so verse 26. So he, he sees this, he hears Goliath and he's like, what will be done for the man? Because why is this uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God? There is no chaos. All chaos is opportunity to the beloved. All chaos is opportunity. Turn on the news and listen to the amount of opportunities we have. We can reset the financial atmosphere in this country. Oh, there's a recession coming. Nope, not on our watch. There's a storm coming. Nope, not on our watch. I, you know, we don't need to go have a prayer meeting on the hills of Dover. No, we can stand here, right here in Clapham, southwest London, and when they say this is about to happen next week, we say, no, 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 not on our watch. How do I know? It's happening in America. There are people who have been praying, right, and they're not even praying about storms, they're just praying. And then because they have a culture and the, the presence of God is so rich in the area, they've had no storms on the storm coast for a year. It's never happened before. Hmm. And crime has fallen by 30%. And then the last location where that church was, crime fell by 50%. Imagine that. Imagine if you turned on the news and Sadiq Khan said, somehow, we still don't have enough police officers, we still don't have enough resources, I still haven't diverted the money that I should really divert from the ULES. <laughs> but, somehow, Crime has fallen by 50% in London. Kids are no longer getting stabbed in the street. The street no longer runs red. Jesus. No longer runs red with the blood of the innocent. Whose destinies have been cut down. Senseless violence. And our... And we're just debating about whether we should give tithes or not. Come on, man. So many other things to talk about. So many other things to pray into. So many other things to focus our, our virtue, our energy on. Don't be afraid of that word, energy. <laughs> Scripture talks about virtue being that divine energy. It flowed from Jesus. It said that divine energy flew from him. And he, he felt it. It should be the case that when they walk in here, they're transformed. A seed is deposited in their, their, their spirit because when they walk amongst the beloved, something is released into the air that it picks up. 
that they're attracted from left, right, south, from north, east, south, west, wherever they're coming from, there's an attraction to the beloved. Everyone wants to be around the beloved. Everyone wants to listen to the beloved. Everyone wants to find out more about the beloved. Verse 34 to 37. And David said to Saul, sorry, I forget, and beloved said to Saul, your servant kept his father's sheep, and when there were, came a lion or again a bear, took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it, and I smote it. Who did? Beloved went out after it, and smote it, and delivered the lamb out of its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and smote it, and killed it. Your servant, beloved, killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37. And beloved said, The Lord who delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me, beloved, out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to beloved, Go and the Lord be with you. David wasn't talking about how good he was with a sling, sword, whatever. Lion, bear, giant, it's all the same. The things sent to intimidate you can sometimes now be the things that inspire you. Okay? When you are consumed with this revelation of being the beloved, the enemy will send things to intimidate you and it inspires you to a deeper level of intimacy. So much so that you have the confidence to go after it. I know that which I'm facing right now, the Goliath I'm facing now in my health, I couldn't have faced this 10 years ago. And I was healing the sick 10 years ago. But there is a difference now, having gone through what I went through in 2017, 18, 19, when you began to just blow open my mind about what it means to be loved by God. There is a difference now to how I approach my prayer, how I approach um, dealing with this thing, uh, the faith that I have, the, the, the absence of doubt. The, the first moment of prayer I remember having that, was, you know, that I marked was when I said to God, Lord, I have no doubt as to your goodness. And I didn't say that out of like, I'm trying to become something. No, I literally, I searched within myself as I was praying, I said, nothing. There is no doubt that you are good and you will deliver me out of this. Absolutely no doubt. But that's only because he showed up in 2017 and said, enjoy my pursuit and et cetera, et cetera. If I didn't have the revelation of what it means to be loved by God, I wouldn't be able to fight the way I fight. And so I'm now remembering, see, through the eyes of the beloved, I recognize God's hand in my continual victory and deliverance. He didn't say I killed the lion because I was able to overpower it. He said, the Lord delivered the lion into my hands. The Lord delivered the bear into my hands. The Lord will therefore deliver Goliath into my hands. Why? Because I am his beloved. My time will not be cut short. Don't fear death. I will not die. I will live. I will fulfill my days. My destiny will not be cut short. There is absolutely nothing you can do to intimidate me. Let him scream, let him shout, let him cuss me out. No matter. Goliath has no say in this matter. I have reset the atmosphere by releasing the words of the beloved. Verse 38. Verse 38. And Saul clothed uh, beloved with his arm and he put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail next verse and David goes sought over his 
his armor. Beloved girl, his sword over his armor. Then he tried to go, but he could not, for he was not used to it. And Beloved said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I am not used to them, and, and Beloved took them off. Reject false identity. Don't wear another man's armor. Wear yours. What are you, how have you fought that fight? How have you overcome? How have you found victory? What's your story? Maybe for some of you, you're like, you know what? There was this moment where I was facing X, Y, Z, and the Lord said, fast. So I fasted. And then there was this other situation, the Lord said, worship, so I worshipped. And then the third time, God said, worship and fast, so I worshipped and fasted. What's your story? What's your weapon of choice? For those of you who are maybe gamers, you know, you pick a character in the game, in a fight game, and they're standing there with, like, a sword. And then you pick the next one, and they've got, like, a... And then you pick the next one, and they're, like, two guns. And you pick the next one, and... Everyone has their own strengths. I know if I... <laughs> if I want to know about prayer, I go stand next to this guy over there. I say, look, just talk to me, just... Just, just ten minutes. And then there's some, there's some five-minute conversation I've had with Deji that have revolutionized my prayer life. And I walk away going, I didn't know that. <laughs> and, you know, what was it um, Peter said about Paul? The things he says are true, but I'm still grappling with them. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, I'm going to have to take that and look into it. You get around someone else and you hear how they fought, but you say, okay, how can I embed that into mine? Because I remember how the Lord delivered me from the lion, from the bear. It wasn't with Saul's armour. So I'm rejecting false identity. I'm pushing back against someone trying to tell me and dictate what I should look like as the beloved. No, 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 no. The, the only thing I do is that which my father does. The things I say is that which my father says. My heart beats as my father's heart beats. We are one. So we're going to go with that option. Verse 40. Then he took, beloved took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in his shepherd's lunch bag, a whole kid's skin slung from his shoulder and his pouch and his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. Beloved identity attracts grace. The revelation of God's love is a revelation of his grace. Because you only stand as loved because of his grace. That's why Ephesians 2 talks about we are saved by grace. You know, it talks about how the grace of God is actually what is it's like the gearing, the, 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 the mechanics that brings us into salvation and then keeps us in salvation. Okay? So it's only, and this whole journey in my life started. 2012, it was a Wednesday night, I'd been at this church in Birmingham, my university church, and they started to preach on the grace of God. I think we were on week four, which ended up being like week four out of 20. Every Wednesday they preached the grace of God. And it, I was so blessed by it. I remember walking home, I know which road I was on in Hansworth, Birmingham, I can take you there right now. And I literally said to God, as I was praying, I said, Lord, I commit myself to this message for the rest of my life. Yes. I said, I could not ever preach anything else but the grace of God. Because it was, it was so rich, it was so alive. 
So everything I, I share now is still in that context. Because the love of God and the grace of God go hand in hand. So when you stand there and you adopt beloved identity and you begin to realize this is who I am and it is the core of who I am. It is everything about who I am and everything flows from that. When you reach your hand into the brook, you find the grace of God in five stones. You only need one, but he had five. You know Goliath had brothers? Goliath had brothers. And in the context, in combat, in those scenarios, if you beat the champion, his family would have to avenge. So there's five of them in the family. So he picks up five. Because when I beat one, I'm ready for the next one. When I've prayed for one person, I'm ready for the next one. I'm just bringing it. I don't grow tired. I got this. I can deal with sickness. We can deal with financial insecurity. We can deal with the demon possessed. The Lord's been talking to me about that recently. What if they show up in church? What are you going to do? What if they start manifesting in worship? What are you going to do? Like, oh, I'm going to trust you. <laughs> I'm going to trust you. What does it look like? What? But get ready. Get ready for the wheelchairs. Also get ready for them to be empty. Get ready for the cancer patients. Get ready for crutches. Get ready for mental health issues. Get ready for all those things. To walk in the door. Find your five. Because once you've taken out one, there might be one coming behind it. I had a dream. I've not shared this with anyone apart from my dad. But I'll share it with you guys. I had a dream uh, probably about two years ago now. Um, and Bill Johnson was in my dream. It was always good. When you see Bill Johnson in the dream, you think, yes! <laughs> yeah, I'm in! Let's talk! <laughs> and um, we're at this, it was like Earl's Court, um, Morris Sorella days, like big conferences, crusades. And um, what was called Mission to London, for those of you that were involved in that or know anything about it. So think of the biggest Benny Hinn crusades you can imagine, or Reinhard Bonke, whoever. I was in one of them, and I'll never forget, because from the bird's eye view, the... Um, the, the chairs were like partitioned so everyone had their section and I was sitting in a particular section and I remember in the, in the dream the Lord revealed to me this was my section I had responsibility over and Bill Johnson was just on stage and I'm watching him and then the scene shifts and he comes off stage and he's right next to like our, our rows and he says to me he says God has given you authority over schizophrenia and skin disease then I woke up. Then I woke up. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting for skin disease to walk in. I'm waiting for schizophrenia to walk in. Because God's given me authority. That was two years ago. And to this day, I've not met anyone with a skin disease or schizophrenia. But I've been waiting and preparing. I've got my five stones. <laughs> so, whenever, whoever. That which was sent to intimidate inspires. Because I'm beloved. And if you show up, <laughs> it's like a fight to the death. One of us is going to leave here alive. I know it's going to be me. Because you, can you can't touch the resurrected by the stain of death. 
That which has already been resurrected cannot be touched by the stain of death. You cannot kill the resurrected. I've already passed through death into eternal life. So I have no fear. Go crazy if you really want to, but you're coming out of this person. That skin disease is being cleared up right now in the name of Jesus. I can't assume someone else's identity or story to win my battle. That's what the Lord said to me. You may say something different to you. Some people may be, you know what, cancer. The Lord's really led me to pray for cancer. Okay, when they show up, I'm going to call you. <laughs> you know, I know certain people in this church have just certain anointings for different things and different leanings. You know, it's like, oh, actually, if we want to go in this direction, I'm going to call this person. Even within the worship team, right? Well, that song we just sang at the end, Denise was singing it away from the mic, and then she stopped. I said to her, keep singing. Because there's something about her high register, and we've seen it over the past six months. She'll start singing in a particular frequency, a particular register, and it breaks something open. So I said, keep singing. Because she stopped, and, and I was like, no, 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 not yet. There's certain keys that I know certain people, when they start singing, I'm like, okay, you're going to lead that song. Not because you're the best singer, but because there's something on you. Right? I could go one by one, every person in the worship team. The Lord spoke to me, this person, this, they got this, they got that, they got that. So when we need the stone, I know which one to throw. So beloved always attracts the grace of God. And in verse 50 to 54. So verse 50, it says, so, so beloved prevailed over the Philistines. So he's already launched it now, right? Goliath is now knocked out. Right, Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck down the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in Beloved's hand. Verse 51. So he ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew out its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their mighty champion was dead, they fled. 52. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. So the wounded Philistines fell along the way from Shalem as far as Gath and Ekron. Uh, yeah. The Israelites returned from their pursuit of the Philistines and plundered their tents. Verse 54. And Beloved took the head of the Philistine and brought it to the capital city, Jerusalem, a.k.a. London, a.k.a. Jerusalem. But he put his armour in his tent. Some of you need to open up your wardrobe and remember how many Goliaths you've slain, you've defeated before now. You have their armor in your tent, but you forget. And God wants to encourage you. Look in your tent. Remember that battle. Remember that battle. Remember when I brought you through here. Remember when I delivered you here. Remember that lion. Remember that bear. Remember that giant. Their armor's in your tent. He had no sword. He didn't need it. He didn't need a sword. He ran up to Goliath when Goliath was on the ground. Bang. And the same Israelites who 50 verses earlier were cowering in fear, now not only rise up and engage, they chase. 
And it talks about how they shouted for joy and they ran after, they chased and they killed them all, all the way along the path. It's interesting because I believe Gath and Ekron, this is just top of my memory, I believe they're in Philistia. Yeah. They're, they're not even Israel, it's not Israeli territory. Right. So Beloved's victory, okay, inspired the Israelites so much that they went deep into enemy territory and started killing. They couldn't even kill one at the beginning of the chapter. By the end, they're going through the towns and plundering. Why do I share that? There are others whose victory is waiting for yours. The deliverance of others is waiting for your victory shout. Notice, they didn't chase until the head was cut off. So when he fell to the ground, that wasn't enough. It's when he cuts off the head and he raises up in the air, then they chased. There's something symbolic about the cutting off the, of the head. See, because it would have been easy to assume, as that, as that stone hit Goliath, that he just fell into a coma, as some of the... Um, some of the uh, commentaries say, or maybe it'd be easy to assume that he just got knocked out and he was about to rise up again. So David had to go and just say, no, 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 it's done. He was dead before the head got cut off, but for you guys watching, for the generation watching, we're gonna cut off the head of cancer. For the generation watching, we're gonna cut the head off schizophrenia. For the generation watching, we're going to cut the head off senseless crime in our city. There was a generation watching who were cowering in fear. There's a church watching who, for whatever reason, have been cowering in fear. They, they've lost their tongue and they're standing in the covenant, knowing that they have the covenant to defeat, but they haven't got the beloved identity to empower them. And they're waiting, they're looking, please, someone, who shall deliver us from this uncircumcised Philistine? Who will silence the voice of this uncircumcised Philistine? He's been abusing and teasing us for 40 days, 40 nights. Who's going to be able to reset the atmosphere? And then the sons of God, the daughters of God, consumed by their beloved identity, walk in and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Let me find the stones of grace, just in case there's another one after. Swing, 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 bang. And just in case you didn't know, I'm going to cut off his head. Mayfair, Marlebone, the hotels, that was our lion, that was our bear. Those were our Goliaths. And we have the armour of the situations we faced. We were kicked out of our building. I don't understand. <laughs> kicked out. We turned it in. The house of God has been turned into a marketplace. Literally. Literally. Go back, was it St. Mark's? Go back to St. Mark's. It's a marketplace. A place that was filled with the presence of God. Daily. Some of you came when it was just Sunday to Sunday. No, before that, it was daily. There were things happening in that building all week long. Midweek service, prayer service, and youth on the Fridays church on Sundays, men's ministry, this, that and the third, um, outreach for the homeless, um, youth conferences were planned there, 
salvation of, of thousands of people in that building and it's now a marketplace and we had to go over the grief of losing and we go from that to a holiday inn we go from a building one of the most majestic buildings in that area to a holiday inn and the Lord says will you still worship me so we start to unpack our stuff every week Nate teaches us how to coil wires. <laughs> and we start tending to the fire of his presence here. And we find the place of victory. And just when we find that place, we then invite Marlebone. Oh, we move into Marlebone. We move into that building. The building that was built to commemorate the Battle of Waterloo. Okay, it's one of the Waterloo churches. So basically, the government provided money to the designer to build this church to commemorate a secular battle. That's what they used to do back then. When the government would win the battle, they'd go to the church and say, build us something so we can remember it. And so we're in that building. We start tending to the fire of his presence. It's not perfect, but it's good. It's a home. Our numbers start to increase. We have this ministry, that ministry, this ministry, that ministry and it's snatched away. What do you mean we've got to go back into the cases? What do you mean we don't have drums anymore? What do you mean we've got to go into here? That's the bear. And then we come here. We're in the small building first. Then we're in the big building. We're in the big room. Oh, we've got lights, cameras, action. Oh, we can express ourselves. Eden sessions, drums, bam, bam, bam. You've got to move upstairs. Why? Not because of a marketplace, other Christians. <laughs> what? We can't even stand against them. <laughs> so there. So there we're going. Bless you, brother. And every Sunday we come in. If you come here early enough, every Sunday you come in and you walk past a reminder of where we were. And for me, that's been the toughest part. I don't mind being up here. I'll be completely open and vulnerable with you guys. The toughest part is walking past in the morning. And every single time God says, do not walk in the fence. Forgive. Release. <laughs> and I'm there going, yeah, but Lord, why us? Why are we the ones shunted around? Why are we the ones put into inconvenience? Why are we the ones in the stuffy room? Remember <laughs> when it was really stuffy a few months ago? Why are we with no air con? We're just... Why? Why us? And I had no answer. This Goliath. And the Lord gave me a word I want to share. It was a long one. Long enough that I started to just... Almost not freestyle it, but as he was speaking, I started to release it. And the God said to me, stop, write it down, because I don't want you to miss a word. I was like, okay. I've asked Nate just to play. We don't need a microphone or anything like that, just to have the minstrel playing in the background. And then I'll, I'll share. We're here in Clapham, guys. Does anyone remember where the Valley of Eli was? What direction it was? Where's Clapham? Interesting that. 
Some of you will skip over that and go, yeah, yeah, it's just coincidence. It's not. And the Lord began to, because I've been feeling this pull for about six months. Before I knew what was happening with this room, this building, this school, whatever, I began to feel a pull that we were going somewhere else. The Lord said to me, I feel like 18 months ago, start looking for a building. I said, what, what? The whole church said, you start looking for a building. He said, I gave you the word that the sound will have a home. So this is your place of faith. Look for a building. I've sent 20 buildings to pastor, to whoever. Hey, what do you think? What do you think? And none of them have been suitable. None of them have been within the price range. None of them worked out. That's why we're still here. But if I see one tomorrow, I'll send it. Because I'm putting, that's my stone to shift this thing. Because as comfortable as it is, and we've made it our own, and we've had some incredible times of worship here, we know there is more. So this is what the Lord says. I'm going to need these. <laughs> I know what I'm like. So the Lord says, this is our Elah. This is our very room. This very room is Elah. This is the place of the wide-brimmed trees of protection that the Lord has hidden us in for a revealing in due season. The Goliath that you have slain here in this very room is the same legacy-defining victory that they will speak on you by. Your story is still being written, says the Lord, and they are getting ready to sing songs about the victories you have won. So arise, giant slayer. Arise, child of love. Arise, beloved. Take up your sling and fight once more. You contended for freedom on the basis of my covenant, claiming your covenant right to live outside of condemnation for the rest of your lives. Do not let life erase the tale of your victory. Do not allow them to forget what I did for you. Grab the head of your defeated foe and place it on a stake in the capital city so that all may know that your God has delivered you. Freedom from condemnation and the overshadowing of the Spirit will become your calling card the same way David Galit and Goliath was. There is a story to be told right here and right now. Do not overlook them. These are the tales they will remember. They will remember November 2022 when I showed up and I silenced you with my glory. They will remember the first Eden sessions. They will remember the first song that you released to the wider world. After years of waiting and planning, you finally did it. But it was here in the place called Hidden that it happened. The Lord says, I need not wait until you've ascended to the throne I've anointed you for. I don't have to wait until then to give you your defining victories. 
Just as I sent David to serve in the southwestern valley, so I sent you to southwest London to serve. And as you prepare to return home to the capital, don't forget to take Goliath's head with you. I'm going to say that again. As you prepare to return home to the capital, don't forget to take Goliath's head with you. Familiarize yourself with what I've done here, even as I prepare to close this chapter. Thank you, Father. There was a stuck because the circumstances don't look ideal. But the Lord is saying, even in this valley, in this hidden, you could win a victory so profound that they will sing of it in the streets. Okay? It's like they did with David. They knew him as a giant slayer. Even the Philistines referred to him as a giant slayer. Later on in the narrative, they said, this is the David who slew Goliath. There are things that we have achieved here, CCF, right? That freedom moment, that con free from condemnation moment that we have inherited and we're now walking in, that they will sing about for years to come. They will know about for years to come. When the thousands are here and they say, why is the culture of this church so the way it is? We will speak about June 2023. We'll speak about May 2023. Oh, this happened there and it became our culture. So whenever a new person comes into the worship team, when a new person comes into the intercession team, the first thing we do is baptize them in this culture of freedom and beloved identity before we get them to serve. We used to do it the wrong way around. We used to get them to serve and then preach later. No, no, no. Now we're going to disciple them and then they'll serve. And we can exist with just five. We can exist with just ten. We've done it for a whole two years. Don't worry about the numbers. The, the numbers will come. We have done worship already with 20. We've done worship with 35 in the building. And it has been hot. It has been intense. It has been full of deliverance. It's been full of freedom. We've experienced that. So I don't need to wait for 30 people in the worship team. Because the Lord has proven he could do it with eight. So there is no more excuses. So when we return back to the capital, because we're going soon, when we return, we're going to take Goliath's head with us. And we're going to put it on a stake. And we say, we overcome. We overcame the inconvenience of losing Mayfair. We overcame the inconvenience of losing Marlebone. We overcame the inconvenience of being stuck in Clapham. We overcame the upper room. We overcame all these things. And we're thankful for everything that's happened. We're thankful for the provision. We do not negate the provision, but we know our home is on the way. Victor and Nadine, there are breakthroughs That you have won in this room that they will talk about. Dave Atkins. There's a wider level of stewardship the Lord is preparing to give you specifically in response to how you have served this church in this season. Auntie Abby, there's a generation of wise women who will hear of your messages from this pulpit and they are ready to sit at your feet and be taught to hear the voice of the Lord. Is Tommy still in the room? I'll share that one later. 
Let's just begin to pray in the Spirit. Thank you, Father. remember we had four individuals visit our church over the space of however many years the first one was Sean Sean Foyt he came and I asked the Lord so he had Sean Foyt Susie Array Wills um, Leonard Jones and then Ray Hughes and I asked the Lord years ago I said why those four and why in that order and the Lord said to me, he said, I sent Sean to, to deliver your congregation. So if, for those of you that remember, we were in the hotel. He came and we were worshipping and he kept saying to the congregation, you need to do more, you need to do more. I'll never forget, he took a stick and he started smashing the cymbal. It wasn't for us in the band. He was encouraging the congregation to just set free. It happened in that time. Susie came. And one of the most memorable moments of Susie's ministry was when she sat with the songwriters and she began to give them the language and the, the instruction, the wisdom, how to interpret the song of the Lord. Within six months, Kenny started writing the songs, Wars of Jericho, or the, um, Beauty of Your Face, that was released. Um, within six months, Lucy started writing, right? So he came, so she came and ministered to the singers. So the congregation are free, the singers are free. All right, Leonard comes and he says, I don't need any singers with me, I just want to work with your band. And so myself, Mike Brown, my dad, whatever, we're trying to learn all these very intricate 
songs and we're, we're back in the lab, as it were, for the first time in a while, because most church songs aren't as complicated as Leonard's. And so we're now honing our craft to get to a level to minister. We go over to America 2015, and we're ministering with him there. And he talks about it multiple times, about the band in England, the band in London that he's worked with, and the freedom he had. So we have the congregation set free through Sean, the singers set free and released into freedom through Susie, and then the musicians set free through Leonard. And then Ray shows up, and Ray brings it all together. Congregation, singers, musicians. And the last time he came, he said this, he said, your song is a song of testimony. And it will turn back the hand of suicide. And then we ended up going into the pandemic. And here we are, three, four years later. So testimony is at the core, it's, it's our calling card. Which is why we cannot let the past 10, 12 years of journey go to waste. It's why we sing Refuge, it's why we sing You Are Holy, we sing um, Alabaster, we sing all these songs because they are our testimony. What blessed me the most this morning was, you guys had never heard Alabaster before, it was literally written on Monday. And when it started, you started singing along. Some notes weren't right, but you were singing along because there's a sense of ownership. This is our story, Yahweh. This is our story. We sing it, it's different to singing Goodness of God. Now, Goodness of God is a good song, but when we sing Yahweh, there's something different because it's a testimony from our loins. Someone went through something and produced this, and we come alongside and we experience the joy of that testimony. There's armor in our tent. We are not to negate and forsake the memory of what he's done. So through the eyes of the beloved, when you look back on this season, right, when we go into the next building and beyond, when the numbers start to increase, when the wheelchairs start to empty, when the cancer victims start to um, be healed, when all that happens, through the eyes of the beloved, look back and remember the lion, the bear and Goliath. Tommy, I've got a word for you, just real quick, seeing as you walked in. There are children, Tommy, who will hear of your humility to lay aside any ambition and serve the vision of this house. How you didn't rebel, how you kept the vision close to heart even as the classroom was empty. Watch them flock back into your arms. Specifically, the Lord said, you never once complained. No more kids. There was a season where we had no kids, no children's ministry, all that. It was such a vibrant part of our church community. And even as it was dialed back and changes were made, he never complained. And the Lord has seen that. And he said, there are kids on their way who will hear of your humility. Not just sit under your leadership and your teaching, that's great, 
Baal be your humility that they hear of. That for two, three years he sat and just served the vision. And that's what will watch them flock back into your arms. Guys, the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. So whatever you think we enjoyed at Mayfair, Marlebone, wherever, is the benchmark, is the floor that he's about to build on. There's, there's wisdom on the other side of the rock. And the Lord's saying to speak to the rock. I don't know if it was both for you or whatnot. I just, I felt it from worship. The Lord said wisdom. And there is, speak to the rock and it will just, and you'll be like, oh my gosh, how I didn't see this before. But there's wisdom on the other side of the rock. Thank you, Father. So Father, we give you praise. We thank you that you have helped us steward in this moment. Have we got everything right? No, we haven't. We've made mistakes along the way. We've maybe, you know, not always paid attention to certain things, but you've helped us to overcome the lion, the bear, and Goliath. And we have waited and we've served. We've made faithful to the vision. And so, Lord, now we submit to your leading. We submit to the move. We ask, Lord, for wisdom in our search. We ask, Lord, for wisdom in our pursuit of a home. We ask for provision. Lord, you said to me a few weeks ago that there are benefactors who will help us fill the house. There are people with money and resources that you are sending, and you said to me that their names will be written on the walls of the tabernacle. So I thank you, Father, for these individuals that you're sending, these companies, these organizations, whoever it is who you've sent to help us build a tabernacle in this day and age. And Father, we dedicate it even now without having it tangibly. We dedicate it to your glory, Father God, that there will be a measure of presence in that place such like we've never seen before. Father, we thank you that we are set to inherit something so beautiful, but even more so, that we are set to inherit you in your fullness, in your glory, the truth about union and beloved identity, righteousness, and being the image of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 